uctoday.com. Hello, I'm Patrick Watson and today we have another episode of UC Today Out Loud. I was lucky enough to chat with David Danto, currently a consultant at Dimension Data. David has a lifetime of collaboration and tech industry experience. Having worked within the media, finance and the tech industries, I could have asked him about a number of topics, but I decided to pick his brain on huddle rooms. For a, a technical dummy like me, what is a huddle room? Well, in order to understand a huddle room, you have to, to spend you know a minute or two understanding the nature of why they're becoming popular right now. Um, when, when, when I started my career, you know, and you can go back any amount you want, 30, 20, even 15, 10 years ago, we all, many of us worked for large organizations that were located geographically in one place. There would be this mammoth building, whether you're talking about the financial services building um, or the, uh, or the, collab, the communications company building. You know, you'd have senior leadership on the top floors. You'd have uh, accounting on a floor. You'd have building facilities on a floor. You know, see, we'd all be in this building. When you had meetings, you're generally meeting with other people in the building or other people in the city. And that's what's fundamentally changed because of the technology we deal with nowadays. Most of the me and what you and I are meeting right now, we're not in the same building, we're not in the same city, we're not in the same country. We're definitely not in the same time zone. This is the nature of most meetings nowadays. Maybe you'll have one or two or three people in the same room, but you're meeting remotely with people in different cities and in different buildings. And every once in a while in the industry, you get a jerk, excuse me, you could quote that if you want. I've, I've come across a couple already doing this. You, exactly. you get somebody who says that, that um, I want everybody to come into my office, remote working is the problem, I need people to bump into the halls and have these magical moments. And, and while, while that sounds like a good soundbite to scapegoat remote workers for a company's problems, the reality is that you can't have magic in a building if your workers are in New York and Chicago or in London and Paris. Or, or, or anything like that. So, so we started to look at, we really need to build these $100,000, know, $500,000 rooms with this complicated AV and all these custom program things that nobody likes to use. Well, you know, we were building these rooms as technicians for us. Now, I know how to use it, but, but no matter how simple I made it, the, the administrative assistant to, the, to the, the C-suite people would come in and say, I'm not touching this, give me an IT person, give me an AV person. Yeah, I'd still fail whenever I got in the room to be able to work it functionally. And, so. and you probably could work it and figure it out, but many people were just too afraid to do that and, and didn't want to have to deal with the hassle and didn't want to be blamed for the failure. So the sense of the huddle room comes out of that. It comes out of we, we don't need... A lot of we don't need a lot of expensive big rooms that are reserved for big wigs that are too complicated to use unless you have a technician. What we now need culturally and technically are a whole lot more of smaller rooms that maybe do one or two things really well, really simply, and with the understanding that even if they're meetings of twenty and thirty and fifty people, odds are you're not getting more than two or three in the same room. So instead of being afraid to walk down the halls and and, and instead of being afraid to use the CEO's uh, big boardroom because it's for him, and so you're only three people, now you've got rooms you can walk into well, instead of having to search for a corner in the cafeteria or the pantry or, 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 or a lobby. There are now rooms available. Many organizations keep some of them available for reservations and keep some of them available only for ad hoc use. Walk in, have your meeting, operate it, and, and the, the, uh, the metaphor I use is elevators or lifts if, if, uh, if we're talking to a 
you know, a European audience that, that every time you go into a new building, you've never been there before, you've never had to press the button for the lift, but you know how to use it. And it follows a standard schema and it's simple and you didn't need to attend a class to get instructions. That's how we should be building huddle rooms and many organizations are building them, where you walk in, it's intuitive, it only does a few things, it follows a standard pattern, and it's a much simpler, easier experience that you can then, because it's so inexpensive and simple and doesn't require customization, build a whole heck of a lot more of to meet the actual cultural needs of smaller meetings nowadays. And that's fascinating. I mean, from my, I have a background within office environments, and I know exactly what you're saying in terms of people probably having the technical ability, but either being afraid or reluctant to do that. And the lift analogy is brilliant. You know, something as straightforward and universal as a lift or an elevator, green button that you press, everything comes on, you can see, you can hear. So are these individual companies putting huddle rooms together themselves or are there vendors out there providing an all-in-one solution that once it's all installed and uniform, that an end user in any given organisation can press the lift green button, as it were, for on. Are those propositions even out there? That's, that's a great question, and, and, I, and I wish our industry supported you know, more standards and more universally accepted uh, uh, solutions, and they don't. It's always the, the parable of the three blind men and the elephant, where a huddle room is part of the elephant that you happen to be touching, meaning it's, it's, the, it's the description that, that, that marries along with the product or service you're trying to sell. Uh, I recently did a white paper, which I can easily provide the link to you, and you, know, you can have the link as part of uh, this podcast, if you like, um, where, where myself and, and Andrew Davis, used to be with Wayne House Research, um, put together what we felt was a spectrum of huddle room solutions. So we could really break this down and get a good, clear understanding of what the differences were. And they go across the spectrum. Uh, in some cases, they're, they're, they're what's called BYOD type of rooms, where you're expected to bring your device, whether it's a PC or a tablet, or whatever it is, and that becomes the engine that produces your collaboration capability. There are audio versions of that. There are video versions of that. Then there are rooms nowadays that some manufacturers are building technology that, that have hubs in them. So this hub sits in the middle of the desk or, or table, um, and, and you use that. You don't have to bring your own device in some cases because it has the engine and the piece in there to do all the calls, you know, like a speakerphone on steroids. Then you have some drop-in complete systems where, you know, you buy it as a single product from a single manufacturer, drop it into the system, give it power and data, and it does everything. And those are generally a little bit more expensive, um, and they sometimes require infrastructure or cloud support, but they're also much more functional because they do everything. You don't have to worry about it. Um, and then the, 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 the top of the spectrum are these same complex rooms we've been the AV industry has been building for the years, but much smaller. So the, the plus on those is they're custom programmed to meet this, the organization's actual needs. But the downside is you're not really getting any of the scale or savings or simplicity that you would get from switching to one of the simpler huddle room systems. So it kind of runs the gamut, again, depending upon what it is that, that the, the manufacturer or integrator or vendor is trying to sell. Are there any particular vendor examples at the moment that you, you've either seen recently or you thought that is a really good solution that could potentially drop into you know, an SME or an enterprise organization uh, across the board? Or, or is it something that you know, we're going to have to be customizing depending on the size of the organization and, and what your requirements are? Well, I, 
I'm, I'm a firm believer that product should not be the first choice, no matter what you're talking about in collaboration. That strategy needs to be the first choice and understanding of, of what business outcomes and objectives that your actual employees are trying to get at. And only by then can you make a good choice because only then do you have the options. There are some, some, some rules of thumb that, that, that you can go by when it comes to the space. There are some really nice systems available for around $1,000 um, amazingly, U.S. That, that 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 can do video conferencing and audio and do them relatively well. But you put in one of them, that's great. You put in two or three of them, that's great. As soon as you put in five or six or seven, there's really no way to manage these low-end systems. And if you're in an enterprise or an SMB where you want to manage 10, 20, 30 systems, you want to spend a little bit more and put in systems that you can uh, be able to do remote management and, and have some type of command capability over. And those are few and far between. Otherwise, you're going to be sending people to rooms to fix plugs that have been kicked out, and you know it, it doesn't scale. Um, one one thing that we're seeing across all the solutions is cameras in these smaller rooms need to support wider angles. So if you're looking at cameras from uh, uh, from Logitech or from Hudley or from Video 360 or or Panacast, you're all, you're seeing a lot of solutions that now can capture a wider breadth of the room, which I think is pretty much universal. We're also starting to see products built just for the huddle room space. It's not like they're being repurposed, but they're being built for this new um, uh, uh, paradigm, which is, uh, you know, an example would be like a speaker bar camera, where it's meant to sit under a display, has, has the camera built into it, and has a microphone and speaker array underneath it. And, and though that gives you the ability to do that. And we're seeing, you know, examples of that from, from Yamaha, examples of that from Logitech. Um, there, there are a number of companies that are doing that where, where, where you've got this camera and the speaker bar, and that really would only work for Huddle Room. Because video for video's sake is useless. Yeah, it yeah. really needs to be something where you can see the face and see the expression. So those are rules of thumb. There are some great products. There are some lousy products. Uh, you know, you want to know the organization circumstance before you make any recommendations. There's a couple of really interesting points you made there. The one that particularly got me, which I've never really thought about, is the legacy is that we have these buildings designed and built in an era, as you said previously, where everyone met in one location, whereas now times are changing and more people are working remotely, we're collaborating with other offices without the geographical locality to one another. Are there other companies that are forward-thinking that when designing their new buildings... They're not designing them in the traditional sense of having small box rooms, which might not be as suitable for some of the new collaboration tech going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I don't want to highlight any one company. A lot of them are good, and, and that's fine. The, the, the higher thought here, though, is, is if we look at AV, you know, room in, integrated room systems, the way we've been building them hasn't changed for the most part since the late 1970s. When you're dealing with a large building, and again, I'm showing you my, my, my opinions here, that, that a, a, an organization who's, who's doing construction will typically hire an architect. The architect will typically hire an AV consulting firm, and the AV consulting firm will typically arrange for or coordinate an RFP for an AV integrator. And essentially, that entire process is typically putting in 1970s technology methodologies. Yes, it's the newer display. Yes, it's the newer microphones. Yes, it's the newer touch panel. But that's what they do. They, they, they'll do the electronic version of whiting out the old plan and putting in the new plan where each type of system is applicable. And it requires a new way of thinking if you really want to adapt to these technologies, which is do I really need an AV consultant to come in and tell me that I could put in 10,000 of these drop-in devices 
maybe I need uh, somebody to come in and show where power and electrical should be, but do I really need to spend custom design? Do I really need to do custom programming? Or can I buy these devices that have these elevator or lift buttons that are that easy to operate? And then it, it goes beyond, am I just working with these rooms? Because in a collaboration world, you know, whether you want to talk or call it UC or universal collaboration or any one of the other names we've thrown around, um, how do I communicate with the desktops? How do I communicate internally to my company? How do I communicate to the remote workers, to the workers at home? How do my hardware solutions work with my software solutions? Do I use software solutions with a little hardware in the rooms? Um, how do I communicate outside my enterprise to, to, to partner organizations, to customers, to clients? What are the technolo technological barriers that need to be overcome? What are the compliance barriers that need to be overcome? So the way we used to look at this, which is let's build some nice rooms and put up some nice flat panels and put them in millwork and call it pretty and then call the IT guy whenever we want to use it or the AV guy, that, that should all be flushed. And what we should be doing is looking at it again from a business objective standpoint. What are we trying to accomplish? What are, what, what, what are the personas of the users within an organization? What, 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 are, what are the user segments? You know, how many are internal, external, customer facing, executive, etc. And then build a catalog of standard choices. 5, 10, 15 of them, from the biggest boardrooms, which we said we don't really need a lot of, to desktop and remote users, and make sure it all works across the continuum. That's really the right approach. And, and you know, I've had tons of experience building buildings, both here in the U.S. and in the U.K., where nobody follows that process, and I'm hoping to see it change, but, you know, while I'm still actively involved in the industry, because it does require a change. That's really interesting because, like you said, the technologies might have changed, but effectively the schematic of putting those technologies together is the same as it's been my whole lifetime and, and, and before. So you're right, it requires a bit more open, outside-the-box thinking, which is a phrase I hate, to sort of understand the potential of the technology and how that could best suit individual user needs. Yeah, and, and I would hope that when people call organisations that I'm affiliated with and say, hi, I'm customer XYZ, and I would like to buy 20 of these boxes. I know the answer is, okay, where should we ship them? But that's the wrong answer. Honestly, the, the, the right answer in our industry is, why? Yeah, yeah. What are you trying to accomplish? What does it have to work with? What do you want to do? Because maybe those are the wrong boxes. And yeah. unfortunately, we, we have a very tactical industry, you know, certainly in the AV space, we're product-centric as opposed to strategy-centric. And to the extent that I can find organizations that are willing to, to bring on a consultant and, and, and really understand the strategy before they invest, those are organizations that are really getting the most out of the unified communication and collaboration ecosystem. Yeah, well, fascinating. And as you said, why? when someone rings up, as a former salesperson, I know when someone rings up to buy something, the hardest question to ask is why, rather than just immediately tapping yes at anything that's exactly. over across. So. Yeah, I do see why the why the problem exists. Just lastly on, on Huddle Rooms, really, I know we've only touched on this, but where do you think, I mean, apart from the hopeful developments that we've discussed in terms of how people think about implementing these technologies, where do you think the technology itself will go? I was watching some of the coverage of CES, and I know you were covering that event. I was looking at, I think it's a British company, Kino Mo, and, and their system for... Uh, floating projected adverts, basically holograms. And I was thinking about the applications for that in terms of presence and collaboration. Do you think in the future we'll be, as you said, maybe in a Paris office, but talking you know, to someone who appears to stand physically in from the London office? Or is that arcing back to a, you know, a, a previous time that isn't really required anymore? 
Well, uh, um, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the Kino Moa uh, technology. This is actually their fourth year there, and I've been, been you know, I've, I've been trying to bite my tongue and not say why haven't anybody done anything with that yet? Because maybe people have, but but I don't really see that as being in this industry. Yes, I believe that 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 holographic collaboration will come, like we see in Star Wars or have seen in Star Wars. Yes, that's just what I wanted. I just wanted you to say that was going to happen at some point. That's all but I, want. I but, but I don't think that's soon, and I don't think that's the next piece of technology that we're going to see coming into the space. Um, I, I think the, the, the emergence of artificial intelligence, you know, I can take out, I have to be very careful what I say because devices around me will go off when I use trigger words. But I can take out my mobile phone, and I can use the trigger word and ask it to call my wife, and it does. It works perfectly today. <clears throat> And that's the experience that people are looking for in their collaboration rooms. They're looking to walk in and say, hi, start my meeting, and have the meeting start. How will it know what my meeting is? Well, maybe there'll be facial detection that recognized I came into the room. Maybe it'll be a Bluetooth beacon off of my mobile. Maybe I'll have scheduled that room. But through one or more of those you know, big data technologies, it'll know the time of day, the room I'm in, and it'll know who I am, maybe even by, by my voice analysis, and I can just go in and start it. The best UI is no UI, and our industry is starting to move in that direction with with Amazon Alexa for Business um, and and the Cisco people, you know, doing you know Spark voice command and, and beta, and th there's a lot of these technologies that I think is going to be here before anything else. Is that we are moving to a voice first world very fast. Touch panels will disappear. That doesn't mean the intelligence behind them will disappear. It, you know, it just means we don't have to press any buttons anymore, which will be a lot more friendly, and 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 it works today. We have to figure out how to put a live microphone that's essentially always on in an enterprise conference room and make sure that it's secure and compliant. That's complicated, but it's doable, you know, to have things not be on the cloud and have them local and secure. Um, the only technology that you're going to see moving into this space, and it, I've predicted it for a while, and, and, and I can't really talk about what I've seen off the record, uh, on the record, but, but we're going to stop seeing video conference systems, and we're going to start seeing Windows. Glass panes, glass panels with no visible camera, where you see the people on the other side, and you can essentially each touch each other's fingers. Now, the, 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 it's going to be, we have microphone arrays now. There are going to be camera arrays that stitch together a lot of small cameras, correct for the, the fisheye, you know, the, the fact that it's close in, and be able to stitch together an image of what's going on in the room. So you'll never see the camera. You'll just be, like I said, it's the window to Paris or the window to New York or the window to London. I've already put systems like that in with traditional cameras in trading desks where, you know, you'll have a New York trading office and a London trading office that want to stand up and use instantaneous hand signals instead of having to hit the button on a squawk box. So we know that the technology of a window to the other office works, but when it becomes this flat pane of glass that, uh, that has no use and you just speak to it and it recognizes you, that's what we'll expect to see in the next five or six years in my opinion. Well, and that sounds fascinating. And what you were saying about AI, I suppose, comes back to you know your points previously. If you can make it even easier and more universal than pressing a button on a lift and just having to talk and say, like you said, start my meeting, you know, anything that makes it easier for the for the users is is the key driver, really, isn't it? Well, David, we could have chatted all day. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, giving us those insights. Absolutely. Uh, fascinating on that I'll actually I'll catch up with you for another pod uh, just on your adventures at CES last week and just what your main takes out were after the event but again thank you for coming on the show uh, and have a great week I will my pleasure good to be here
Well, big thanks again to David Danto for speaking with us on Out Loud and giving us the benefit of his experience around Huddle Root. But mainly a big thanks to you, the listener, for downloading this episode and a shameless plug from me here to leave us a review on iTunes or get in touch with some feedback on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also post comments and questions in the podcast section of our website and find all of our other interesting content around UC and collaboration at uctoday.com. Thanks again for listening.